How's everybody doing this morning? Good? And when you came in today, you got a bulletin? We're, uh, we've already kicked some things off. Wednesday nights, we had an awesome time here for family ministry night. We still have well care classes ready to kick off. If you're going through a season of life where you need some help and encouragement, FPU and some other classes are out there in the foyer where you can sign up and get registered. They all kick off in February. All the other ministries, men's night, women's ministry is already in gear. So jump in where you can and where you have time to. Also, this Saturday, men, you're invited to the men's breakfast here at the church at 8 in the morning. And uh, if you're a guy looking for friends, looking to get to know the Lord more, I invite you to come and just hang out with the guys for the morning. Also, our membership class is next week. Uh, we'll do this about once a quarter. And so we invite you to come. We've revised the whole plan. It's a one-day class instead of two. And we'll come together. You'll hear about the church. We'll get to know you and what our church is about and how we can partner together and what God's doing in our lives. And we'll celebrate with lunch together right afterwards. So um, if you're interested in coming and checking out, there's no obligation to be a member. If you just want to check out and learn more about the church, um, sign up. There's information in your bulletin how you can do that. Now, I do want to share one thing in regards to the offer. Um, you guys know if you've been here for a little while, we went through some, got some bad news back in the fall that kind of shook us up. It caused us actually to have to go back to our budget and going into this year, really make a lot of changes. And we didn't want to um, lose any of our staff. So what we did is basically cut out almost all of our ministry money, which means all your personal development, your reimbursement for things, um, support for volunteers. I mean, almost all the things that that are good to do. We just said we want to keep our staff. We don't want to lose staff. We don't want to cut missionaries. So um, we've got a very lean budget. Now, the bad side of that is there's very little wiggle room. And if you look at our bulletin, we're $13,000 behind already this month. I know sometimes January is slow. Come out of the holidays. Some people haven't got back in the rhythm of giving. I would just encourage you and ask you to be faithful in your giving to God's work. Um, God is doing um, some phenomenal things. We've got ministry happening every night of the week. We're seeing people baptize every Sunday for the last a um, few months. It's just been phenomenal. And the, the reality is if we don't make our budget, we'll have to make some serious decisions, which probably comes down to staff. And so we don't want to do that. And we want to keep doing and moving forward. And so, so I want to be honest with you and just be transparent. This is where we are. It's the reality we live in right now. And you're needed more than ever before. You're giving, your prayers, and your serving, as you'll see today. You know, when uh, January kicked off, a lot of us have resolutions. And one of those resolutions often is to kind of lose some pounds, so to speak. You know, I'm guilty, Thanksgiving, I love Thanksgiving, I like Christmas, I like snacks and goodies, and by the time we get through the holidays, we just say, okay, starting next year, starting January 1st, or maybe January 2nd, you know, I'm gonna really get serious about this thing and I'm gonna watch my weight. Well, watching your weight's pretty good, and it's easy to do, and you got a lot of it to watch. So, a lot of us, that's what we do, is we just watch our weight, we don't lose it. Um, but I want to talk to you today about a different kind of weight watching, and it's watching while you wait. It's what we do when God says, I'm going to make you wait. Because last week, we learned about a guy named David who was anointed to be the new king of Israel. As far as we know, he's only a teenager. He's the youngest son of a man named Jesse, and God says, that's the guy, a man after my own heart, who will send to the throne and take Saul's place as king of Israel. Saul was this bad king and really failed, and felt like David was already, the, he, was, he had the anointing of oil poured over him, the Holy Spirit came on him in power, and then David goes back out in the field. He, he doesn't actually get to take the throne for at least 15 years. And when you go through Scripture, there's something about waiting that's so powerful and frustrating because we're not a culture that likes to wait. I mean, who loves going to the DMV and just sitting for two hours to get you know, your tags? You know, we don't like to go in the post office and stand in long lines. I don't like to go to amusement parks and wait for an hour for a four-minute ride. 
Um, we, we get frustrated just watching something download in the little spinning circle <laughs> saying, come on, come on. What's the problem here? You know, I've got 5G speed. It shouldn't be happening. And we're so frustrated. We're just impatient. And yet, in the, in the midst of having to wait, God is teaching us some very profound lessons. I think the biggest one is this. You're not in control. It's not on your timetable. It's mine. I'm in control. And there's a reason why we take some things slower. There's a reason why David's going to wait. There's a reason why Noah had to wait 100 years before the flood came. The reason why Sarah had to wait until she was 90 to have a child. There's a reason why Jesus had to wait until he was 30 to start his ministry. And the reason why you and I have been waiting, along with believers through generations, 2,000 years for Jesus, who promised to come back soon. Why does he make us wait? What is God up to? What is he doing? We're going to find in this story some very profound things because God never calls us to be fast, but he does call us to be faithful. And it's how we trust him in the midst of waiting. It's not so much what's happening around us. God may be orchestrating some things, and I think he does that. Sometimes wait because I'm moving things around. But more often than not, he says, but I'm moving things in here because you are not ready for what I have for you. And so during this time of waiting, I'm going to be working on your heart. I'm going to be developing something within you. And God is doing something in David in the midst of this waiting, some things that I think he's trying to do in us as well. So I was actually going to skip over this passage of Scripture. It just felt like, oh, that's one of those filler Scriptures, and we'll move on because David and Goliath is next. But God says, no, 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 don't skip over this. There's something you need to hear, and there's something your church needs to hear, especially with our vision that is transforming broken people into relentless, loving servants of Christ. This, this is a message for every single believer in this church. So listen to this story. There's actually some bizarre parts. That's why I was going to skip over it, but you'll understand why that's part of it a little bit later. It says, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. This is 1 Samuel 16. And a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, Behold, now a harmful spirit of God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David your son, who is with the sheep. <clears throat> and Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, uh, by David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly. And he became his armor bearer. And Saul said to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Saul's failure as king became David's future as king. And they're all connected to this issue of serving, how one king served poorly and another king was being prepared to serve well. You know, serving is something that we learn in our culture. Most of us start off jobs. They're kind of grunt work jobs, you know, loading shelves and, and helping bag things. And, you know, you're, you're a private in the military and you, you receive orders and you're told what to do. And we just learn to do what others decide for us to do. And we call those. In fact, in the restaurant, you call someone who waits on your table. A what? A server. You don't call the, the, the head chef the server. You don't call the owner the server. You call the people who are doing the 
work on the floor. They're the servers. And so serving has kind of a negative connotation in our culture. It's often seen as a prerequisite to leadership. Serve well, you get to lead. Get through serving boot camp, and then you um, get to tell others what to do. You know, you get to move up rank. You'll get to make the decisions. You'll get to assign the mission. You'll get to direct other people. They'll report to you. And you get to sit in a different seat and you get to do different things, but they're gonna do the hard work and the grunt work. And what we learn in the kingdom of God is it's very different. Serving is not a stepping stone for David or anyone else to be king. It is the highest work of a king. It is not preparation that David, get this out of the way so you can be king. It's, oh, David, master this because this is the way it's going to be. This is how you are to function as a king. You need to learn how to serve. And so he's, put, he's going to put him through kind of a serving boot camp under Saul, those who have greater authority have greater responsibility to serve. And so if you're a parent, if you're a business owner, if you're a supervisor, if you're an officer, that's you. That's me. We have greater responsibility to learn to serve well. And here's why. Because we're going to look at Saul first. Serving poorly invites misery. Serving poorly invites misery. It says, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Why? Saul was anointed just like David. Saul had the horn of oil poured on him and God's spirit rushing upon him at one point. And Saul actually was a good king for a short period of time, won some great military campaigns. People looked at him and said, we've got a great leader here. But after a couple years, he began to be very self-centered, very focused. And instead of being anointed, he became annoying. And and God was being frustrated with him. And all like the, the final straw was when God says, go to the Malachites and I want you to wipe them out totally. Every living being needs to be destroyed. Now, so some, of, some of us are really bothered by that kind of warfare. It's, it's very common in ancient cultures to wipe out whole people groups, kind of genocide. And it's not that God hates those people, but there is within the Amalekites uh, this hatred for God's people. And, and there's even evidence from Old Testament that there's some of the giant clans are among the Amalekites. They're, they're in there in the, among the Canaanites. They're the anti-God people. And they have practices that are very horrendous, like child sacrifice. And it's, it's, it may be that God is saying they are so bad that we cannot let a trace of them exist because they'll infect my people. So whatever God's perspective is, it's, it's they're bad people, Saul, go wipe them out. But Saul keeps the king alive and saves a bunch of the animals, of flocks, of sheep, um, there's, there's herds of oxen, He's got all, all kinds of animals that he's keeping because the people said, hey, these are good animals. Why, why slaughter them? We could use them. So when Samuel comes around, Samuel's the prophet, and he, he says, hey, Saul, what's going on? He says, hey, we, we did what God told us to do. We beat the Amalekites. Hey, praise God. Saul says, I hear this bleeding of sheep. Well, why are there sheep? Oh, the sheep, the oxen. Well, why do we have those animals? Well, here's why, because they make great sacrifices to our God. I'm actually being a very good man because I saved the best animals for sacrifices to our God. And Samuel says, no, you didn't obey God because you didn't do what he asked you to do. See, partial obedience is not obedience, right? It's like partial faithfulness is not faithfulness. If your spouse would come back to you and say, hey, honey, I'm mostly faithful. I'm mostly faithful. You go, Slap, slap, slap. You know, you know you're not, you're not, nobody goes around saying, hey, I got a husband who's mostly faithful, faithful. I got a good one. No, you say, I got a jerk. 
You know, he's not faithful. A little bit of unfaithfulness is unfaithfulness. It's not called faithfulness. A little bit of disobedience is not called obedience. It's called disobedience. And Saul, you disobeyed God. In fact, here's what, here's what Samuel says to him. This comes from the Lord. Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, it, it, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Obedience is better than the sacrifice you're wanting to offer. You know what's interesting is I've run into Christians over many, many years who will take like commands of scripture and say, hey, but I'm doing it this way. Not God's way, but this way, and I think it's just as good. Like I don't, I don't go to church and worship with Christians. I worship on my own. Even though scripture says to gather together with the body of Christ, to, to don't forsake the assembling, I've got my own way to do that. I don't, I don't give money to God, I give time to God. Well, God wants both. He didn't say either or. When did he say that you should not give the first fruits of your, of your income? He says the tithe from what he gives you. He says, give it to God. It's not a one or the other. It's, but, but people will, will twist and say, well, this is what I do. I've heard people say, like, I don't talk to other people about Jesus. I just let my life show. Well, that's good. We should let our life show. Uh, it's good to be a good person. But I've got a good dog. And my, my good dog it doesn't mess on the floor. And she's really sweet. And she's happy when she sees me. But she doesn't talk about Jesus ever. And if you never talk about Jesus, nobody gets to know Jesus. So they may see your good works, but they need to sometime hear you say why you do what you do. We've got to open our mouths. We've got to testify, witness to who Jesus is. It's really dangerous to twist God's commands and say, like Saul, like, but I'm going to do it this way. The way that's convenient for me, the way that fits my schedule, the way that makes other people happy, because our goal is to please God. Our goal is to listen to him and honor him. And God has blessed Saul at one point, with his presence to do his will, the Holy Spirit is on you to do my will in a way that other people can't, but you're not doing it. So God says, take him back, take him back. Now, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon people differently. All believers did not get the Holy Spirit, but certain leaders got the Holy Spirit in an empowerment way to be able to do the function God called them to fulfill. And so Saul loses that blessing. Instead of partnering with God, he just wants to profit from God. God wants teammates. He wants an extension of his presence on earth through us. When the Holy Spirit's in us, working through us, we become an extension of God on this earth, and that's a high calling. I'm not saying that you shouldn't find pleasure in serving or that other people shouldn't find pleasure in your serving, but the ultimate goal isn't to please ourselves or others. It's first to please him. Paul wrote to Timothy, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please who? The one who enlisted him. That's our top priority, pleasing God. And because Saul didn't do that, he lost the Holy Spirit and almost like in a vacuum, an evil spirit came. Now this is a very difficult passage because, because people have struggled even to interpret this. I found many pastors actually skipping over that passage when they preach about David. They say, oh, we're not gonna mess with that. I just wanna tell you this. The bottom line is bad things happen when you grieve the Holy Spirit. Bad things happen. Misery invite, is invited into our lives when we say, I'm not gonna listen to what God has said, especially for a believer who has the Holy Spirit living in you to say, but I'm not gonna listen to you, God. It just invites bad things. Now, I don't necessarily say God's gonna send an evil spirit your way, but God does discipline us, and it's painful. And God is disciplining Saul and trying to get to his heart and change his heart. Now, just so know this about evil spirits. Every evil spirit is under God's authority. Did you know that, that angels have free will like humans? It even says in 2 Peter that, that uh, the angels who have sinned 
are in chains in gloomy darkness. Angels who have sinned. Angels have free will. They choose. And many angels have sinned. Satan made that choice. He was a high-level angel who sinned and fell from grace. But all of those evil beings still are under God's authority. So when God, Jesus is on earth and tells a demon to get out of someone, he gets out. You know, and there's going to come a day when he sends Satan into the pit forever. So even, even God can take evil beings and say, I'm going to use you for my purposes. And it's not going to be your will that ultimately triumphs. It's going to be mine. So, so God, God is using this evil spirit in a way that's still going to give him glory. And he's using a way in David's life. Now, how that relates to us is that we have a calling on our lives. If you're a believer, you have a calling on your life to serve the Lord. And he's given you gifts or talents. And it says in Scripture, Jesus' words, everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And we know that some gifts come with greater responsibility. If you're in a leadership role, if you're a pastor, elder, teacher, <clears throat> you have greater responsibility. In fact, James chapter 3 begins by saying, those of us who are teachers will be held with greater accountability. Be careful what you teach. And be faithful in teaching. Use your gifts. Steward your gifts. Remember Jesus said that story about a guy, one guy got five talents, one got two, and one got one, and the guy that had five talents doubled them. And, and the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome into my happiness. And the guy who had two doubled those. And same thing, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, I'm going to expand your giftedness and I'm going to invite you into my joy and presence. But the third man said, my boss is kind of tough and I don't really like him. So I'm just going to bury mine in the sand. And he buries his talent in the sand. And uh, when the master comes back, he's livid. He said, the least you could have done is put in a bank where you got interest, but you did nothing with what I gave you. And what happens next is he is sent out to a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Meaning he's... He's suffering consequences for his neglect of what God has given him. And that means every one of us has to look inward and say, God, what have you given me to do? What have you called me to do? What have you left me on earth here to do? Because every one of us, if you're a believer, has been gifted by the Holy Spirit in some way. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone, not just some, everyone, to each, to each. You, me, every believer is given the manifestation, the evidence of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. And when you don't function with your gift, Paul, Paul gives his whole picture in that chapter of the body. You're like a body part. Can you imagine if the arm says, I'm not gonna function anymore? I did my time. For 50 years, I did all this work. I'm not going to work anymore. And this, was, this arm's just being drug around, soaking up nutrients and things, but it's not doing any work. So it's that, might as well cut it off. you got an organ that's not functioning. It's, it's dead. It's not helping the body. A, a gift that's not being used is like an atrophied part of the body. And so it's a challenge for each one of us, and we want to help you as a church. How has God gifted you, and where should you be serving? How can you exercise that gift for his kingdom's sake? But if you serve poorly, it'll lead to misery. The second thing we learned through this story is serving well brings harmony. This is now David's story. Um, David's very different from Saul. After he was anointed, uh, I don't know exactly how the story plays out, but somehow David ended up back in the sheep field. He's back out there with the sheep. Now, I don't know after he got the oil pulled on his, poured on his head and the spirit came, if David said, what next? And, and everyone said, like, I don't know. God didn't tell us. 
Well, then I guess I go back to the field with the sheep. I thought I was going to be king. And he goes, well, someday, but God didn't tell us to do that, and he didn't get rid of Saul. So I guess you're just going to have to wait. But what happens, how God actually gets him into the palace, that's not really a palace, it's just like a house. How, how David gets there is like through a different pathway. It's not because he's the upcoming king. Saul has this malady. He's got this problem that a harmful spirit comes upon him, and he kind of goes insane. And so his servants tell him, well, you need someone who can play music because music will help. And we all know that music actually is very therapeutic to the human soul. There's a whole science of music therapy that shows that music can alleviate anxiety and, and, and reduce depression and stress in our lives. And most of us can think of times in our lives when a song carried us through a difficult time. Songs have meaning. They, they, they really connect with our emotions. So he says, find someone. And one of his younger servants, maybe even a peer of David, says, hey, I know just the guy. Jesse's son, and probably he knew his name was David because Saul's going to recognize him. That guy, he, he's be perfect for the job. And so listen to David's resume. I mean, it is an incredible resume. He's skillful in playing. He's a man of valor. He's a man of war. He's prudent in speech. A man of good presence, that means he's handsome, he's good to look at, and the Lord is with him. I mean, that is the bonus, and the Lord is with them. I mean, you can have a good employee who's, who's good looking, speaks well, um, confident, um, skills, but lacks the Lord, there's gonna be limitation to what that person can do. Because that is, that is the one that activates all the others. You can see it in musicians. You get a musician who can play an instrument well and someone who has the spirit of the Lord upon him, and it's very different. You have someone who can speak eloquently and someone who can speak eloquently for the Lord, and there's a world of difference with the impact of what they give. That is the driving thing. It's the spirit of the Lord is upon him. David has the whole package. And David in Psalm 18 actually says this, with the Lord's help, I can advance against a troop and I can scale a wall. It's like, when the Lord's with me, I'm like Superman. I can do things I couldn't do on my own. It is, it is the superpower of the believer, the Holy Spirit living in us. Now, physically, you won't leap buildings in a single bound, and you're not gonna stop, stop locomotives with the, with the arm, but I'll tell you, God can work supernaturally through his power within you to enable you to do things and have an impact you could never have on your own. That's what God does. He enables us to go further. And what David does when he, when he comes into Saul's house is he brings the presence of the Lord into that place. And, and because of that, harmony, peace, starts to invade Saul's home. I mean, that should be what happens with every believer wherever you go. That if you're the only Christian in your house, your very presence in that house brings the Lord's presence into the house. And you should be the one bringing the harmony of the Lord into that place. And I've seen it. I've seen one person a man or a woman who comes to the Lord and all of a sudden the whole culture of the house begins to change because of that person. It's not because just of that person. It's because God is in that person. God is with that person. I've seen businesses where that's happened. You got one employee who loves the Lord and they're different than everyone else. They're not cussing. They're not out for the money. They're, they're, not, they're not stomping over people. They're kind with customers. You go, man, that's, that employee's different. And, and that like, becomes like a glue in the company and they have a big influence. I've seen kids in school who've been very devoted believers and bring a presence about them on their, in their classes, on, on the student council, on their sports teams, on, in the band, because God is with them. Because everywhere you go as a believer, you bring Jesus with you into that place. 
David brings the presence of the Lord there, and it's like bringing light into the dark room. Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And when David played skillfully his instrument, all of a sudden there was a peace in this place and the evil spirit left and Saul was in a good place. David ushered in the presence of the Lord. But see, it wasn't because Saul was such a great guy. It was because who called David? David was serving the Lord in that place because Saul was undeserving. It's not like David says, man, that's a great guy. I want to work for him. Like, no, I don't want to work for that guy. And he's, he's terrible. He's an idiot. You know, why would I do that? And, but God, if you say, do it, I'll do it. And you may be working for a boss that you feel that way about. You may have a parent you feel that way about. You may have someone in authority over you in a position that you feel that way about, coach, uh, some other leader. But God says, hey, first of all, you're serving me. That's why uh, 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 Paul writes in, in the book of Colossians, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Because how you conduct your life in those places is an act of worship. How you live your life is, is, a, is an acceptable sacrifice to God. You're honoring him wherever you are. You're bringing glory into that environment. That's, that's worship in a broad um, sense. But there's also a part of worship that's very narrow, that's actually gathering together with other believers to lift up your voice to the one who is worthy, to give him praise, to listen to his voice. That's what we're doing right here. This is Sunday morning. We call this a worship service. And it's different than any other part of your week, and that's okay. So sometimes we say, well, well, worship is everything you do. Well, it is in a sense, but then there is a worship that is very focused, where I lean into the Lord and, and I open my heart to him. And there's two primary parts of worship. There's a lot of different elements. There's an offering, there's communion, there's greeting one another, but the two biggest parts that take up the most time are the singing, the praise, and the sermon. You got those two. You've got uh, the beginning of the service, and, and then you come to the the message usually at the end of the service. And there was a man in our church who for years told me, he says, you know, I grew up always thinking that the, the song time of the service was something we just had to get through to get to the meat. It was like the salad. You know, let's eat our salad to get to the meat. And uh, he began to realize over the course of time that no, praise is meat. Praise is hearty worship. And I'll tell you this, that in my life, when I look back when I was in high school, 16-year-old, became a Christian, Youth group was on Sunday night, and we do, we do crazy fun games on Sunday night, and we'd draw crowds in. We'd have, you know, 30, 40 kids come into youth group, and we had a lot of fun. But when I gave my life to Christ, I said, that's not enough for me. I, I, I'm, I'm just thirsty for something more. And several of us were like that, so we started having a Bible study on Wednesday night. And we'd come together on Wednesday night, we'd just sit in a room and open up our Bibles, and it was the first time in my life that I actually had a Bible. It was the living Bible. And I, and I opened it up, and I says, I've never actually read this book in my life, and Wow, this is like overwhelming. I feel like I just got dropped into the ocean. I said, I don't even know where to begin. I don't know who these characters are. I don't know anything. But it was the start. And just by focusing on the Gospels, the life of Jesus, things started making sense. Like, oh, that makes sense to me. I get that. And I began to get a grasp on the Bible. But even then, after a period of time, some of those same kids says, we're hungry for more. We enjoy when we, when we go on retreats and stuff, when we sing. So we started meeting not only every Wednesday night, Sunday night we met, we came back on Wednesday night, then we came back on Thursday night, a small group of us for prayer and praise. 
And we'd put chairs in a circle, and there'd be about 15, 18 of us in that circle. And, we, and my friend Gary would get out his guitar, and he'd be strumming songs. Some of you might remember, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, or uh, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. And, you know, all these were big songs back in the 70s. Yeah, 70s. So we're singing these songs, and honestly, for an hour and a half, We'd sing a song and stop and pray, and we'd sing a song or a couple and stop and pray. We did this every Thursday night. There was, there was something happening within me that was so beautiful. Like, I needed both. I needed Wednesday night, and I needed Thursday night. Because, because Thursday night was kind of like my heart gets open so big to God that when I then study the Bible, there's room to put his word in me. And when we come together for worship, that's what happens. Some of those significant moments in the service that you'll ever experience will come in the first 15 minutes where God starts to strip down maybe a, a, a wall in your life or remove something or open your eyes to something or, or just get you focused away from your problems to say, I need to focus on him. And we've had people often crying in the midst of worship because God is doing something in the midst. There is something powerful that happens deep within the heart. And I'd say preaching doesn't always do that. But music can open up the heart in ways that the spoken word can't. But then when the spoken word gets put over that, it's like, now it can saturate us. Martin Luther, the leader of the Reformation, said every believer should have two books, a Bible and a Psalter. That's another word for hymnal, songbook. You need to be in this book, and you need to be singing out of this book. Because both are essentials. It's not like, I just need this kind of meat. No, this is meat, too. And, and one is opening up to God and one is being filled with God's word. God does both of them. And David's bringing this presence. In fact, I would say that David's greatest contribution to Christianity was not his model as a king. It was, his, it was modeling worship. Because he wrote at least 73 of the Psalms, maybe more. 73 have his name on it. And David writes in Psalm 33:3, Sing him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Worship has been um, influenced for centuries by David and what he wrote in this book. And new songs are being written like crazy nowadays. So many people are writing worship songs. It's so beautiful. And some of them may not impact you like others, but there's others that are like so beautiful, so profound. Sing to the Lord. Play skillfully on the strings. God loves and is worthy of good instrumentalists. I mean, can you offer to God a, a, a playing that's, you know, not that good and sing with a voice that's not get that good. Yeah, because God says, make a joyful noise. So, yeah, that's you. But there's other times where God says, I, I am glorified in beautiful music. I am glorified when you play well, when you play with intentionality. He says, with loud shouts, there's energy, there's passion in what you do. I hear a lot of that kind of worship today. New songs, skill, skillful playing, loud shouts. David influences us to worship. But I don't think he would have um, gone into Saul's presence to worship if he knew all that he was getting into. Because can you imagine if there was a job description posted somewhere that if Saul said, hey, go, go put a bill outside on the wall so people know what you're looking for. It would have said something like this. Wanted, man to play music for narcissistic and insanely violent man, must be good at dodging spears. Because <laughs> that's what David's gonna have to do. There's actually times, and we're not going to read them today, but if you look chapter 18, chapter 19, where Saul is um, influenced by this evil spirit, and he has this um, heaviness on his heart, and then he says he grabs his spear while David is playing. 
You know, that's kind of like, like you're playing guitar and someone's got a loaded gun right here. That's called performing under pressure. David's saying, I don't know what's going to trigger him. I better play the right note. Better sing well. He's playing. And we find in those chapters, chapters 18 and 19, where at, there's a moment where Saul becomes so enraged, he takes his spear and he chucks it at David with the intent to pin him against the wall. I want to strike him so hard, he actually flies up against that wall and, he, and he's stuck on the wall. That's what I want to do. And so he's throwing it really hard. And, and, and what really is amazing is in the, in the chapter 18, there's one verse, verse 11, that says that David evaded him twice. I thought, dude, if, if he threw one of those at me, I'm out the door. How did David avoid, avoid it twice? Because it's not like you're going to reload a spear like, like that quick. So David dodges a spear and goes, what would you just do? Don't do it again, please. Starts playing some more, and then Saul does it again. Like, maybe he left after that one. But, I mean, you have to go away saying, God, what did you get me into? Who is this guy? Why do you have me here? I thought I was supposed to be king, and you're having me do this. But you're going to get a picture of David's heart. When you read through the Psalms, because a lot of Psalms have introductions, and this is one of them. This is the introduction to Psalm 59. The introduction is part of Scripture. It's not like added later. It is part of Scripture. To the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy. That's the name of the song. Do Not Destroy, a miktam, that's a type of music, of David, when Saul sent men to watch his house in order to kill him. So if I'm getting this right, David knows there's guys outside ready to kill him, and he's inside writing a song. He's not, he's, he's not cowering in fear in a corner. He's not trying to sneak out the back door. He goes, I think those guys are here to kill me. I need to write a song to God. So he writes this song. It's Psalm 59, and the last passage of this psalm says this. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. You guys can't touch me because God's my fortress and he has me here and I'm not moving. It tells me just David's, David's um, heart and what God's doing through him. But it takes a lot of humility to serve in this role. And that's really the greatest lesson I take from this passage, that serving humbly produces maturity. It is the essential training to be king. It's what David really has to learn. It says that David came to Saul and entered his service. And to me, it seems so backwards. It, it should have been David went to replace Saul as king. But no, David now is serving the unworthy king. The man after God's own heart is on the lowest place. He's serving the man who's not after God's own heart. And why? Why is God doing this? And I don't think it has anything to do with Saul. I don't think God's saying, well, maybe over time he'll change because God's already made the decision. No, you're, out, you're on the way out. But for some reason, he says, but I'm going to let him, this evil guy, continue to reign as king because I'm training this guy. I'm training David. I'm doing something in David's life that, that is so essential. So here's what, he, what he's doing with David. He's, he's tr training him to learn what it's like to be true king. He wants him to know what it's not supposed to be like. Don't be like Saul. I want you to be different than Saul. And I want you to learn what it's like to be humble because you're going to have to be humble if you're ever going to succeed as king of Israel. You're going to actually do what Jesus did when he came. You know when Jesus came, he was born a king? That's why he got gifts of gold, frankincense, and were born a king. He lived as a king through his life. 
He, he never, he never, he never uh, diminished as a king. He was a king. Even when Pilate then later on says, are you a king? He says, you bet I'm a king. So Jesus was a king, but he didn't look like a king. He didn't have a crown, didn't have a palace. You know, Jesus didn't look like a typical king, but he was functioning like a king. And he didn't actually get to take his office until he died on the cross, was buried, and rose from the dead and ascended to heaven and was seated at the right hand of God. That's when he took his office. But Jesus was teaching his followers, you want to live like a king? Here's how you do it. Don't be like the Gentiles. They've got this pecking order. If you get up here and you, and you ascend to this level, then you get to tell everyone else what to do. They serve you. Jesus says, uh-uh. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Don't be like the, the Gentiles. Don't be like the world. That's the way they do it. I'm doing it differently. And this is the way my kingdom operates. With greater authority comes greater responsibility. You serve those under you. They don't work upward to serve you as much as you work downward to serve them. Help your employees flourish. Help their children flourish. Help the people that have, been, that have been placed into your stewardship. Help them flourish by serving them, loving them, caring for them. And I know there's a fine line between a confident leader and an arrogant leader. Because we like confident leaders. I don't think there's anything wrong with confidence. As long as the confidence is in the Lord and what he's called you to do. You have a quarterback on a football team, you get in the huddle, I want a quarterback that's confident. That calls a play that says, I think this is the play that's gonna win the game. Like, let's go for it. You want confidence. But arrogance is when you think you have it within yourself, all the, everything that's needed, and, and you're superior to others. And you look down on others. We don't like arrogant leaders. We don't like arrogant presidents. We don't like arrogant coaches. We don't like arrogant athletes. We just don't like arrogant people, but we want confident people. And confidence is willing to say, I will take a lower position. I don't need all the glamour and the credit, titles and all that. I'm gonna serve. I don't need this privileged parking place. I'm okay. I know who I am. I'm clear about that. And Jesus actually once told the story of a parable to those who were invited. He said, he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, whenever you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down to a place of honor, lest, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. David's story reminds us that God is training us to be servants. And it's good of us to take that lower seat and say, I'm just gonna serve. You know, this week I had a, a weird moment most of you know that in a few months I'll be stepping out of this role and a new pastor will take the baton of leadership here. And, and I started feeling real sad Monday and Tuesday this week. And I said, Lord, I, I don't know why I just feel this sadness. And, and he said, you're going through a grieving process. And I started thinking through and I said, I think he's right. He said, for 40 years, you've been a pastor. For 40 years, you've woken up in the morning and know what was on your plate to do, what sermon had to be written, what decisions had to be made, what meetings had to be done, you know, what funeral to plan for, what, who to visit in the hospital, all these things. You've known all that your whole life for 40 years, and your identity is so wrapped up in that that you don't know who you are apart from that. 
And, and God is reminding me, my first calling was not to be a pastor, it was to be a servant. And when you serve God, and this happened to me years ago, I just served God and, and walked through open doors and God kept saying, okay, now I'm gonna move you here, now I'm gonna move you here, now I'm gonna, here's another door to walk through. And, and God says, and I'll still do that. Just serve well. And I think he's telling all of us the same thing. Because there are a lot of men in this room who are dads. And sometimes we get lost to what my role is as a dad. And I'll just tell you, here's your number one function. You're the lead servant in your family. Because Jesus said, love your wife as Christ loved the church. He laid his life down for her. It's not my job to boss the family around and order my kids around and be the boss and puff my chest out and raise my voice. It's sometimes to get on my knees, change a diaper, lay down with the child in bed, sit, a, sit in a chair and talk, so run errands. It's, it's to do all kind of stuff that sometimes just feels like that's just grunt work. Yep, because you're the lead servant. With higher authority comes higher responsibility. Wives, you're to serve too. Serve your husband, serve your kids, serve your community, serve your church. A lot of you do it very well. You're just like Jesus. My mom led me to the Lord by her lifestyle. Kids, oh, man, when you learn to serve and you go home and say, Mom and Dad, I'm a servant, what do you need me to do? You'll blow them away. You'll have to take them to the hospital to get CPR because they're going to say, what happened? It is amazing. When you show up at your work, you know, you got a job, your first job. I'm here to serve. I had a young lady, first service, asked me to pray for her because she's a server in a local restaurant. She said, would you pray for me? Yeah, God wants us to model servant. And God will open the door at the right time to move you up and give you credit, but don't seek it. Don't seek power and authority. Be a servant because that's what Jesus did. And Philippians 2 says this, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And because of that, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him a name above every other name, that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord. God raised him up. He didn't, have to, he didn't have to ascend himself. God raised him up and gave him the name and that authority. And God will do the same for you. He'll honor you. But just focus right now on serving. David waited 15 years before he ever took the throne. Why? Because God says, you've got to learn to serve, buddy. And you do too. So what I want to do right now is ask you to stand. And we're going to stand here for a few minutes because I'm just going to ask our worship team to lead and, and minister like David would, even though we got a bunch of Davids up here and play over you. Now, you won't hear lyrics for a while. And that's okay, because what I want you to do is just ask the Lord, God, if there's bitterness in me, if there's fear, if there's forgiveness needed, if Satan's got a grip in me in some way, would you wash it away from me? Would you remove it? Would you cause that darkness to leave my life so I can see with clarity who you are and what you want me to do? And maybe just stand in his presence. Let the Lord love on you like he wants to. So let's do that.
we know that David say played he said play skillfully before the Lord so we're just gonna let Matt pastor Matt go and, and give his instrument to the Lord in Jesus name hallelujah we receive it Lord
Maybe for you, um, just sitting and soaking was kind of hard because we're not patient. Maybe God just telling you to slow down and let him do his work in us so we can do better work for him. If you need prayer, um, I invite our prayer partners to be up here for anyone who needs someone just to pray with. Maybe it's something in your life you just need someone to to share with or to pray over you. We'll be available up front here for you. The rest of you, God bless you. There's stuff in the foyer to stop and see and to sign up for. Like I said, well care is kicking off. So God bless you. Have an awesome week.